You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. The series is entitled Living in the Shadow of the Great King. And this morning, we're going to continue that series with a message entitled Paradise Restored. Paradise Restored. Restored, And our text is Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. I have often commented to people that those of us who live in Miami live in paradise. But even living in paradise, we still seek paradise, right? So, so what's your paradise? And what's, what's paradise for you? What I'm talking about here is the stuff of vacation planning, right? It's what you do when you start planning your vacation, saving your shekels, saving your points on your cards, whatever you do. So what's paradise for you? What does it look like for you? What's the topography? Is it mountains? Is it deserts? Is it islands? Is it forests? Is it jungles? What's the climate? Is it cold? You want ice cold, you want a jacket on, you want snow and blowing, blistery winter. Is it hot and humid and wonderful? So you wear the minimal amount of clothing, you can guess which one mine is. (laughs) Um, Where is paradise? What would paradise be for you? What would you do in paradise? Oh, Oh, you do know that in paradise... You will be working. You understand that, right? Let's let's have a Christian view of paradise. Let's not have a heathen view of paradise. God made you to work. Work was not cursed. The earth was cursed. Now, work was cursed, but work isn't the curse. Let Let me say it that way. That's a better way of saying it. Work isn't the curse. The earth was cursed. Work is a blessing. So if you could do anything on earth, what would it be? What would would you enjoy doing? What would you enjoy creating? God made you to create, to work, to oversee things, to have a project that you see through the end and and it it prospers and you see the fruit of it, the, the good of it. I know this sounds so silly, but I love mowing the lawn. I've always loved mowing the lawn. I mean, it's a secret. Not many people know this, okay? I love that feeling, Right? When you're done mowing the lawn, you've edged it perfectly. It looks great. It's, it's one of the few projects in my life that I can start and finish. And I see, there it is. Okay, Because as a pastor, no project's ever done. This is a job that no project's ever done. Trust me. Just look in the mirror because, you know, that's how it is. None of us are ever done. But I love mowing the lawn, right? What do you love doing? If you could do anything, what would you do? anything. What would paradise be like for you? Now, here's the question. Is God there? Is it it a biblical view of paradise? If I get to be where I want to be in the climate I want, in the topography I want, to do what I want to do without God? That's not paradise. That's Disney.
But Disney is man's attempt to reach what God made us for. To get that for which we were created. Paradise. We've all got paradise in our souls. The problem is we also have sin in our souls. Hence, paradise gets corrupted. See, paradise restored has to have it as its center a relationship with God that shines so brightly. I'm so much want to be with him and rejoice in him and be glad in him. And he's glad in me. And, and it starts there. It can never be less than that. We're going to look at that in a moment. But listen, but it's more than that because he not only restores the relationship with you and me, but he restores the very heavens and earth that he created. Don't miss that. This stuff that's around us is going to be restored on new heavens and a new earth. And you'll be working. The the difference is when you work, you'll actually have the opportunity to start a project, finish a project, and have the fruit of that project and have someone steal it from you, whether by a gun or with a pen. No more bugs to eat the lawn. No more sickness to end life. Paradise restored. That is what this text is about. Let's read God's version of paradise restored. Shall we, church? Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my mountain, says the Lord. There are two words that are prominent in this text here. They're repeated three times in verses 18 and 19. They are the word glad and the word rejoice. They are key here. 
As a matter of fact, I believe they contain for us the key to this passage. And here it is on the screen. God rejoices in his new creation and calls us to rejoice with him. God rejoices in his new creation and calls us to rejoice with him. Point one, God rejoices in his new creation. Look with me at verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem there is poetic language for the new creation. Think paradise restored. Isaiah is a book that speaks to us with poetic words. You have to be careful to interpret this. Right? It's images that are speaking of paradise restored. It's images that are speaking of the new creation. All right. So Jerusalem here is the paradise restored. It's the new creation. God says, I rejoice. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Now what's happening here is that God is glad and rejoicing in creation because he was glad and rejoicing creation when he first created it. We've got to be thinking of Genesis chapter 1. We have to be thinking of the times in Genesis chapter 1 after day 1 when God creates light and God says it was good. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 10, when God separated the waters and God saw that it was good. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 12, when he made the plants and the trees and the fruit and God saw that it was good after day 3. And after day 4, when God separates the day from the night and he creates the seasons and he creates the two great lights and he says it was good. And then at the end of day 5, when God created the the the, the the fish and all that's in the seas and the birds and all of that. And he said that it was good in verse 21 of Genesis 1. And in verse 25 of Genesis 1, God creates the beast and he says that it's good. Then after he creates man, male and female, he created them. At the end of day six, he says it was very good. But the fall corrupted the good creation in which God made man. And sin corrupted the very people that God says here that he rejoices in. It says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Remember how the book of of Isaiah started. It started with God not rejoicing in his people and not being glad in his people. It started with God rebuking his people because his people had gone after idols. His people had worshiped foreign gods. His people had rebelled against God and said, we don't trust you to keep us safe. We're going to trust the Egyptians or the Assyrians or we're going to trust everybody but you and yet the whole book often called the fifth gospel is filled with references to Christ who is the servant through whom God would bless his people so that at the end of his book paradise is restored at the end of the book this this eschatological view this view of the end times when God is rejoicing in the new heavens and the new earth because of what Christ has done You see, heaven and earth play a very important role in this book. At the beginning of the book, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, God calls heaven and earth as witnesses as he brings a a charge against his people who are rebellious. In chapter 13, heaven and earth tremble at the wrath of God because God says, I'm going to cut you down because you are a burned out oak tree with withered leaves. You do not serve me. I'm going to cut you down. 
But out of that stump, I'm going to bring this root from the stump of Jesse, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to make you into these oaks of righteousness. It's in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 44 that heaven and earth rejoice as they see this suffering, resurrected servant, Jesus Christ, who's going to restore his people. Paradise restored. Heaven and earth. Now, in verse 17, at the end of time, this is a picture of the end time. This is what we hope for as Christians. They will be fully restored to the place where we don't even remember the old. Look at verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. There will be no regrets in the new heavens and the new earth. Your sins I will throw into the sea of forgetfulness. Now we're going, to move, we're going to move past just the spiritual application of this into our lives because oftentimes Christians miss that not only is salvation individual and of a people, salvation is of creation itself. We have to have a vision for the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to get that here in a moment. But it must start here individually. See, what this is talking about is what Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 5.17 on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus saves us. Jesus saves the creation. The creation moans and groans because of the fall. And looking for the redemption of God's people, that's us, that's the people here in whom God rejoices. But then God will restore the creation. It hasn't happened yet. There are still bugs and mosquitoes. I was bitten by some mosquitoes in the office this morning. And my legs all red over here. More mosquitoes in heaven, all right? So God restores that, but he starts by restoring his people. But as he restores his people, he does it in such a way that we don't remember who we were. We only know who we are. Now, listen, I know that's an exercise of faith because sometimes I still act like who I was, even though I see a vision of who I am in Christ. But, but Christian, you are not defined by your sin. You are not defined by your sinful past. The word that I believe God had for us this morning is that if you came in here with shame and guilt, that shake it off. You've been set free. You're a new creation. If you're truly a Christian in Christ, you're defined by Jesus. And what he's done for you. Now listen, that's going to be consummated at Christ's second coming when the new heavens and the new earth are brought into being. But we live today as if that's true because it is true. It is true. There are no regrets in paradise. God God rejoices in this new creation. And, And the reason he rejoices in this new creation because in the new creation... Futility and frustration will cease. That's really, that's what it's saying from verse 20 to verse 25. The the reason there's no more tears, and really this is captured in verses 22 and 23. Look at them with me. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree, remember this is poetic language, all right? For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain. 
what this means is that in the new heavens and the new earth, imagine this, you've got enough time to do that project that you really want to do, the one you really want to do, the one that God put in your heart to do, the one that you've been too afraid to do, whatever it is, you've got the time to do it and you finish it and you do a good job. You're not rushed. You're not doing it because someone told you to do it. You're not doing it just to, you know, as I wash for your boss. You're not doing it, you know, to impress somebody. You're doing it because God put it in your heart. You love doing it. What is it that you really love to do? And you have time to do it and you do it well. And then you get to enjoy it forever. Forever. Imagine that. No frustration. See, The curse isn't work. The curse is the traffic jam on the Palmetto getting to work. You with me? Yes, I know. Sorry, Nick. It's the thorns. It's the thistles. I mean, I I pray you really like what you're doing. That's not always the case, but there's something of God in that. There's something of the kingdom in that. There's something of the passion of paradise restored. We get little glimpses of it, don't we? When we do something well and someone can read that before couldn't read or loves to read that didn't used to love to read, there's a little picture of heaven. <clears throat> it's like a little down payment, right? That's a blessing. The curse, though, is when someone takes that or we build the business. And then someone passes some legislation or just steals it with a pen. Right? Okay. But the blessing is to work hard to build the business. The curse is that there's thieves out there. Either they break in and take all our stuff or they take it through some legislation or whatever. Right? Okay. Where am I going with this? I'm not sure. I was building a business in my head all of a sudden. It's going to come a day where you work hard and you get all the fruits of that labor. Okay? High interest rates, inflation, uh, you know, the overage. You know how they charge you a million dollars for a 10-cent piece of gum because they got to factor in all the other pieces of gum that got stolen by someone else? Or we pay $14 million for insurance in South Florida because everybody drives like me, a crazy person? (laughs) There won't be any of that. You could just work really hard and enjoy the fruit of that labor exactly one-to-one. You got to have a vision of that, Christian. Work hard today with that in mind. I know it's not yet there, but do it in faith. Don't complain. Even when you get ripped off or you finally build that thing you've been wanting to build and someone comes in and fires you for no reason at all just because they're greedy. And you make more than someone else, so they'll fire you and hire someone that they can pay half. And you go, Whoa. you won't have that in heaven anymore, in the paradise restored. That's why God rejoices in that. And we should rejoice in that. We should never give up. We should never give up. And here's why I think this is what it's saying. Because the Apostle Paul, when he, he preaches a whole chapter on the resurrection life, the Apostle Paul, who preaches a whole chapter on resurrection, and that chapter is filled with paradise-restored language, the whole chapter, read it, 
1 Corinthians 15, at the end of that chapter, he's talking about resurrected bodies. He's talking about what it's going to be like when when Jesus comes back and we're going to have new bodies. Listen to what he says at the end of that on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, because the resurrection is true, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Of all the people, we should be the strongest people. We should be the people that never give up. Why? Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Because the resurrection, that truth comes and speaks to me today when I'm so tempted to think I've worked hard for 22 years and what do I have to show for it? It doesn't matter. I work for the Lord. And one day it's all going to be there. Today, I feel like I'm banging into that wall every day, man. But I don't become cynical and unbelieving and complaining like the world does. I can cry. It's okay. I can weep over being mistreated at work. I can, I can not like it. But listen, in Christ, you have a healthy body. In Christ, there is going to be an eternity of enjoying him and his creation and working hard with no limitations that right now we have. That helps me suffer well. Suffer well, because I'm going to suffer on this earth. But I suffer with hope. Went way too long on point one. Point two. Point two. What is point two? Yes, rejoice with God. (laughs) So God rejoices in his new creation. And then he calls us to rejoice with him. In fact, the imperative which is a fancy way of saying the command in this text, is found in verse 18. You ready? Look at verse 18. But, so God says, I create the new heavens. I create the new earth. It's going to be so amazing. It's going to blot out what happened before. It's going to be so amazing. I don't even remember what it used to be like. All I remember is this. Wow. Then he says to us in verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. Again, that's a picture of the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. To be a joy and her people to be gladness, right? This is that section where you've got gladness and rejoice three times. I rejoice. I am glad in my people. I've created my people and I've created the new heavens and the earth to be joy and gladness. You want to know the definition of joy and gladness? God's creation. And God restoring his creation. That's the definition of joy and gladness. That's why every time you sell out to something that's less than that, particularly when it's diametrically opposed to God's word, whether it's an addiction to something or whether it's just selfishness, whether it's you know finances apart from God, you're selling out to something that can never really bring you joy and gladness. It just can't. <laughs> but when we give ourselves to the thing that is eternal, God's gladness, he says, this is gladness, my new creation and the people that I make new. So I can be glad and rejoice when I'm crying over persecution because I am a Christian. And then he says, I want you to rejoice like I rejoice. See, see, joy, joy, brothers and sisters, it's gotta be the marks of it's gotta be the mark of our life. And I preached this to you this morning. Uh, lest I be a hypocrite, as one who the last couple of days has not rejoiced much. <laughs> In fact, I would say yesterday, I, I had a meltdown. Have you ever had one of those? Take a walk with your wife. You guys start talking about something. 
It doesn't have to be your wife. It could be your husband. It could be a friend. Just take a walk with yourself and just think something. And you're fine. And some, something is said and you just go crazy. I mean, literally, I, I, I went crazy. It's like, light, it's, like, it's like you're in this room. Like I've been in this room and they turn all the lights off. It is pitch dark. You can see nothing. It's like I'm like walking around and all of a sudden something went boop and the lights just went out. Man, I was complaining. I was, I was a crazy person. Sorry, Des. <laughs> I was just, I was crazy. Have you ever been temporarily crazy? Some of you, it's not temporary, right? I mean, <laughs> the sanity part's the part that's temporary. <laughs> and, so, and so I preach this to you as a recovering complainer. I preach this to you as a recovering moaner and groaner and just bleh, right? But I've got to preach to you truth. If you're a Christian, joy should mark your life. Joy and gladness. It doesn't mean you can't cry because some of you have very sad circumstances right now. It doesn't mean you can't grieve. Go grieve, but grieve and cry with hope. Because there is a joy on the other side of the grief and on the other side of the crying. And some of the stuff that I was complaining about is really bad stuff. As a pastor, I get, I get the privilege of hearing a lot of really bad stuff. And every once in a while, it just a button goes off and I went, Argh! the circuit breaker goes, you know, and, and then eventually it gets put back in and we're good. But life at times can be hard, man. You know, what's that song? You know, when the bugs bite, when the bees sting, or when the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know that one. But, but so what do I remember on that time? Not some, not some vacation I'm about to take, some la-la land place where they're going to take all my money and I'm happy for like 10 seconds, then I got to drive home. I'm not, not, I'm not thinking that place, okay? But... What I'm thinking about is heaven that forever and ever and ever, all those frustrations are gone. Jesus took sin, Satan, defeated Satan, defeated sin, defeated death. He won the victory. He made me righteous. He's going to recreate this earth. I'm going to work hard and it's going to be fun and I'm going to enjoy it. And others are going to enjoy it. And it's not going to be selfish. That helps me when I'm suffering right now. That's all. That's all. So rejoice in what God's New creation is. And I believe that's the second point. Don't have time to go into all the second point, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. Okay? You ready? Felt this, I felt this for you who have children that don't know the Lord. Um, I want you to look at verse 24. I'm sorry, 23. They shall not labor in vain, or bear children for calamity, right? I mean, one of the biggest sufferings is a child that is born for calamity, whether that's a sickness, whether that's walking away from the Lord, whether that's in some countries children are taken as, as in human trafficking, as sex slavery. I mean, you could fill in the blank what calamity would mean for you, right? For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. That's Jesus. 
and their descendants with them. God said, I will bless the nations through a family, Abraham through you, Genesis 12. The Bible is all in this thing. This is, this is Bible 101. This is, this is gospel 101. This is the gospel. This is Jesus. I'm gonna bless the nations through a family, this family, you. Oh, me, who's 100 and I don't have any children? Yes, you, because it's gonna be supernatural. I'm gonna give you that child. And then that, that descendant is going to create a bigger family. We're part of the family of God and I'm gonna rejoice in that family. And through that family, I'm going to bring the blessing to the nations so that we're part of the family of God and we bring the message of God, the message of Christ. And it's a blessing. And God rejoices in us. Look, 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 look at 24. God says this, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Ultimately, paradise is when our relationship with God is repaired and we walk in it and we we know him and he knows us. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden and they were satisfied. One day we will know that. We will see him as he is face to face. And if it weren't for Christ's death on the cross, that couldn't happen because we'd have to die because we're unholy. But Jesus took our unholiness that we might experience that. And then look at verse 25. What is this crazy thing? The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Wolves and lambs are enemies. Wolves eat lambs, but they're going to graze together. And the wolf isn't grazing on the lamb. They're grazing on the ground. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. What? Lions don't eat straw like an ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. I believe, quickly, that this is poetic language for paradise restored. It's poetic language to go back to the garden when nature wasn't dangerous to man and man wasn't abusing nature. I I don't have time to get into it. But the biggest takeaway here is that old serpent who got into that garden and who God said that my servant will crush the head of that serpent in the final day, he's going to be eating dust, defeated forever, forever. One quote, and then we'll bring this thing home on the screen. I believe it's there. This last verse The point is that no warnings will have to be posted in that world, the new heavens and the new earth. And no one will weep over a snake-bitten child. I thought that's that's got a double meaning, doesn't it? A snake-bitten child, literally a child that's bitten by a poisonous snake and dies. A snake-bitten child, a child whose heart is evil against the Lord. God, God, God reverses that in Christ. Or over a wife devoured by a lion. Again, I thought the double meaning of that, right? A wife who's devoured literally by a lion, like Corey told us about lions in India. They're, they're presently a danger. Or, or a wife that's devoured by the lion who roars as if a, a roaring lion, Satan, who would destroy a woman's mind and heart and just beat her down. No more. Jesus has defeated him. Nature will no longer be our enemy, nor we its. What's the appeal here? Worship team, you can start making your way up here. What's the appeal here? Here's here's the appeal. I think it's simple. God delights in us, though we have been a pain in the neck to him. I'm sorry if that's a little too real for you. Actually, it's not as real as I could be, but we're in church and there are children here. But at the beginning of this book, 
Israel was horrible toward God, rebellious against God. And yet God rejoices in Israel. Listen, he rejoices in the people that he's redeemed when it says that I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Those Hebrew words, they come freighted heavily with this idea, the idea of a bride and a bridegroom. That's the, kind, that's the, that's the language there. I have, a, I have a, a little bit of knowledge of that, being a pastor. I've been around when guys have asked girls to marry them. I, I've been at the altar a lot of times standing next to a guy. Guy, when that, when that door opens and that woman comes into that, that, that breezeway and oftentimes the light's shining behind her and I've just heard him weeping. When, when he shows me the ring that he got for her, and he says, isn't it beautiful? And I see his eyes beaming. That's the picture of God being glad in you because of what Christ has done. And he calls you to be glad in him that way. That's paradise restored. That's the appeal. Back to the original um, thesis. God rejoices in his new creation and invites you to join him. Will you do that? Will you say along with the author of Psalm 84, better is one day, one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. If you weren't here for the very beginning of the service, we read Psalm 84 and we prayed Psalm 84. Read it this afternoon. This is our prayer. Psalm 84 is the basis of the song we're gonna close with. Better is one day. May it be the basis of your heart. May you long for paradise restored. Yes, longing for the day. There's no more dangerous animals. There's no more sin. There's no more despair. There's no more sickness. You can work hard on a project, see it to its completion. You do it well. And you enjoy its fruit. You plant a vineyard. You eat its fruit. You build a house and you can live in it. No one's going to take it from you. Yes, all that is good. But listen, ultimately, you rejoice in God who rejoices in you. That sustains your soul, man. Better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads and, and pray and then we'll stand and sing that song, Better is One Day. Father, I thank you for restoring paradise in Christ Jesus the suffering, resurrected servant. Ah, it's such good news. Lord, we're so tired. This world is tiring. Sin is, is exhausting. It's insanity. Anxiety sucks the life out of us. Anger and bitterness and self-righteousness just eat away at our souls like a cancer. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, addictions just whittle away our lives. We run after things that we think will satisfy and they don't. Only you satisfy. Oh Lord, you make us new creations so that we forget the old. Give us a vision of paradise restored in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings. 